morning, everybody. We are morning, everybody. We are halfway through our series study of the book of Habakkuk, and I like the choice of the book because I think it's this book and books like it that help get rid of the idea that the Bible is irrelevant. Anybody ever sort of hold that thought down in the center of themselves like, this is me, that's them, I don't get it. And I realize that we're in the Old Testament, and I realize we can barely pronounce the name of the book, and you get that far, and you're like, I'm out, I'm done. <laughs> what, I don't know who this, I don't even know how to say this dude's name, but he's not like me. But if we can just, number one, let's admit it's a little strange. But if we can get one step underneath the strangeness, we're going to find out that this guy is a lot like us. So this is Habakkuk. He resembles us. He's a guy at some level who believes in God, at some level he serves God, and at some level he has his doubts about God. And if I look at that, I can identify with all of those at some level. Some of you, maybe you can just, if you can't identify with all of them, you can certainly identify with one of them. And even his doubts are familiar to us. So here are his doubts when it comes to God. The first thing, the first question he has from God is, why do you sit idly by? Why don't you do something? Can't you see this is going on? You should do something. Who hasn't said that? Every single one of us has probably said, like, hey. Then, here's the set. Then when he does, he, Habakkuk says, well, I didn't want you to do it like that. Who can relate with that? We all know better, don't we? Who knows better than the way God does it? We all know better. Like, I just wouldn't have done it that way. He's just like us. And the cool part is, get below the name and all that, God just preserved the whole thing because he knows we need it. Names change, people don't. We don't call you Habakkuk, but we need the same answers to those questions. And God answered and preserved it and handed it to us because it's just as helpful to all of us as it was back then. So it's relevant. It matters. So we need what God has to say here. So what does he have to say? So I read the book a couple times. It's easy to read the book because it's only three chapters. You can do it. <laughs> three chapters. And I'm asking myself, which is a good thing to do, what is he saying? That's how you read the Word. The Word is revelation. God is always revealing something about himself, about us, about our relationship, about the world, something. So you're asking that question, what is he saying? And as I read it through, there were two, in the sort of the middle of this book, there are two main ideas that came off the page to me. And we're going to work under those main ideas, one this week and one the next. There's actually a lot of stuff it reveals, but for my part, there were two that I saw. And they both fall under this, that God will not be mocked. And what I mean by that over here is, if you are a Christian— you cannot claim Christ and run around in sin and expect God to do nothing. If, if you're claiming belief and relationship and Christianity and all that stuff, 
and you know what the Word says, but you don't do anything, or you just do parts of it that you like, and you're running around like that, you have to expect that God's going to step in and do something. The book of Habakkuk reveals that God will discipline those who are His. That's chapter 1. If you're not Christian, you can. You run around and do whatever you want. You can think all of this is nonsense. You cannot care. I mean, you don't even have to be hostile towards it. You can just be indifferent. You don't have to be anti-God, but you can just think, ah, I got other things to do. But you need to know that someday, there is a day coming where you will have to answer for what you did and didn't do. You can run on for a long time. You can run on for a long time. But sooner or later, God is going to cut you down. So, discipline and judgment. Judgment's chapter 2. Two super happy topics <laughs> for the next two weeks. But if they are our reality, and I'm saying that they are, living life under the discipline of God is a reality. And God wants us to know what that reality is like. Let's, it's worth our while. If judgment is indeed coming, hey, let's get... Let's at least be aware of it and maybe get ready. So, not a lot of fun. So, if it stays like this, a lot of turnaround looking at the clock, it's all right. Just two weeks of it, okay? Here's the backdrop. Habakkuk is a preacher, and he spends a lot of years preaching good messages full of God's truth, God's law, God's love to people, and they don't change. And he's frustrated. He's frustrated with them, but he's, he's frustrated with God that God doesn't do something about it. The, so he's preaching good messages, but the people, they look like neighboring nations, and the neighboring nations, they make God's out of wood. They carve stuff out of wood, like the sun god and the sea god, and there's even a god of chaos. And, they have, and then they dance around it, and they do all this crazy stuff. They're not getting the messages. These people, they're getting the messages, but they act like them. So he's frustrated with them. He's frustrated with God. So he says, this is verse 1, 3, why do you look idly at wrong? Get them. Which I can tell you, that's a conversation pastors have. Like, God, you know the messages are awesome. <laughs> but this is where it ends. The awesomeness. Just look at them. <laughs> so get them. <laughs> and God says, well, I will. This is 1-6. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. And it's not, they're going to ride in on horses faster than leopards, and they are a bitter and hasty nation, and it is not going to be good. I got it. I'm going to do it. So the preacher asks for discipline, and God says, it's coming, but he says, it's going to look like this. And when the preacher hears, he's like, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I was thinking more like this. <laughs> And they just, and which do you want? I mean, be careful. This was Brandy and I's choice. 
It's not a bad choice. Light, travels through the air well, good coverage. <laughs> don't, don't be so quick. You can have this one. If you break this one, you can have this one. The second issue he has with God is over this. This is verse 13. He's like, thanks for the discipline, but I disagree in the way in which you will do it. He's like, are you really going to allow the wicked to swallow up a man more righteous than he? So listen, we're bad, but we're not this bad. And you're a God who can't, you say you can't even look at evil. How can you use these crazy people to discipline us when we're only half as bad? I strenuously object. And at the end of chapter one, it says, I will take my stand on the watchtower and I will see how the Lord will answer me. And the Lord says, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm God. I'm going to do what I want to do, how I want to do it. But if I discipline in this way, I need you to know that it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to get theirs. They will. They, those who are not mine, they have something coming too. It's just going to be later. That's the end of chapter two, but I'm still going to use them. In the middle of it then, he says this, trust me. You need to trust me. This is 2-4. Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. Chapter one is, I will discipline those who are mine. Chapter two is, and those who are not mine, they've got a day coming. What you need to do in the middle is trust me. You got to trust me to discipline, and you got to trust me in the judgment. My scales will balance. Everyone will get what they have coming. So, discipline today. If you're a Christian and you're really going through it at the moment and things are not good, things are not going the way that you want them to go, you can remember a time that they were. So not so long ago, it was going decent. And like, I can live in that, but then something happened. Something went crazy with your people, the people that you love the most. It just went off. Or the circumstance changed, and now the situation that you're in is not fun, and you don't see any way to get out of it anytime soon, and you're stuck. Or you're tired, and you're tired. So you're trying everything you can to get out, but all your effort, your input is not creating anything different, and the whole time God seems distant, silent, quiet. There's unrest all around you, and it's creating unrest in you, and it's not good. If that's you, it could be God's discipline on you. It could be that God is disciplining you. Now, I am not saying that all of our pain is God's discipline. Like, thanks a lot, man. I just got back. I just received a diagnosis. I come here today. I need a little hope. I need a little help. And you just said that God's doing it to me because he's going to get me. No, I'm not. 
I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, because God says it, that if you're going through it at the moment, don't be too quick to take God out of it. It could be him. It could be him doing that because he wants to see something different in you. And I only say that because God says that's part of who I am. We have to we have to hang on to a vision of God, a picture of God that is accurate. And a God who disciplines is part of who he reveals himself to be. And not just in Habakkuk. Chapter 1, verse 6, and I will raise up the Chaldeans. That's not the only time he said it. God's been raising up the Chaldeans from beginning to end. From the beginning of the book, from the beginning of his revealed word, all the way to the end, he's promising to do something similar. I didn't know this, but I found it. The promise to discipline those who are his is as far back as the law. Way back in Leviticus, God promises that he's going to do it. And if he put it in the law, like he has to do it, because if he didn't do it, then he'd be breaking his own law. God doesn't do that. Leviticus chapter 26 it starts off, the first part's really good because it's a promise to bless those who obey. Read that part. Read it a lot. It's good. Makes you feel good. Encourages you. But right underneath it, there's equally as long of a promise to discipline those who don't. He says it this way, if you will not listen to me, I will visit you with panic and pain. That's a that's a paraphrase, but those are the two things that he promises are coming. And they're coming not from a world that's broken and all that. They're coming from him. I'm going to let you experience panic and pain. You're going to be a peace. If you won't listen, here's my way, you walk over here, then I'm going to cause you to be someone whose heart is full of worry, anxiety, turmoil. You're going to be a person who's always afraid of something, but here's the thing. He said, I will make you like a people, and you're always on the run, but there's nothing chasing you. It's me creating that in you, and I'm going to let you feel pain. I'm going to cause heartache. Do you guys know heartache? Not pain, like your heart aches. I I, know. I don't think you can raise kids without heartache. We have photos on our kitchen wall of our kids, and you, you just capture them in a moment. You know, they're little. And I've, I know they're fully evil from birth, all right? We've talked about that. So I'm not, I've not forgotten that. But you capture them when they're cute. They're little. And there's a certain innocence there. I saw it today, as a matter of fact. You just see it in their face. And it goes away. That makes my heart ache. God says, I'll cause you to feel that. And while you have panic and heartache, I will make heaven like iron. This is the, I will make your heaven like iron and your earth like bronze. So underneath that, heaven's going to be, it's going to be like iron. So nothing out, nothing in. No blessing out, no prayer in. It's going to, I'm going to, you're going to feel alone and I'm going to make sure you feel it. So your prayer is going to bounce off 
but I want you to feel that. And then everything you do here will be hard. You're going to try and try and try and try, and it's going to eke out just a little bit of return, but in the end, that return's going to be like, it's just like a sowing to the wind. You're going to get it, and you're just going to have to give it away. And all that effort for nothing, sort of a fruitlessness. But I want you to feel that because I will break the pride of your power with discipline. Here's his promise. If you walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you and you will feel it until such time that you turn around, that you humble yourself, that you quit, that you stop, that you give in, that you turn back, and then we can walk together again. It's in the law. It's going to happen. And it does. Moses, Joshua, Samson, David, Jonah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk. Pick one. No one's left out. Every, every, you read, if you read, if you read, you're going to find in seasons when these men walk away from God, he's going to walk away from them just like he promised he would. And it's every single one of them. I listened to, I listened to a preacher say this, like, don't hold such a high opinion of these biblical figures. He said, there are only four people in the Bible I would let babysit my kids. <laughs> Jesus and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everybody, everybody else sketchy. <laughs> what do they get? Discipline. Like, could we jump into the New Testament where God is happy and Jesus lives? Like, I'm tired of the angry Old Testament God. Yes, let's flip. So if we flip, you can flip from the beginning. The law is in the beginning. You flip almost to the end. The book of Hebrews, let's say. Almost at the end, one of the most famous passages about discipline is Hebrews chapter 12. I mean, you can't get out of it. Like, Jesus lives here, and God is happy, and there's grace and forgiveness and all this stuff that's just held to the, to the highest. And even in the midst of that, you find what? God's promise to discipline those who are his. I'll pick it up. This is Hebrews 12, 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? So let's pause right there. If you're Christian, do you know that you have been adopted? The language that God reveals or that the Bible uses about salvation is to be adopted. How does adoption happen? Somebody's out there disconnected, lost, alone by themselves, and then do they go searching for No. Somebody comes to them and scoops them up. That's exactly how it's described. I'll just read it this way. This is Ephesians 1, describes how we become sons or daughters. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his presence. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to his good pleasure, according to the good pleasure of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace. 
to the praise of his glorious grace, we're lost orphans. He's like, I want some kids. I pick you. He says, don't forget that. Okay? That's good stuff. That will make your heart soft towards God when you realize that he came to you and you didn't deserve it. So don't forget, sons, but now as sons, here's the rest of it, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? It, here's the part I want you to see. If you are left without discipline in which we have all participated, then you are ir- illegitimate children and not sons. Here it says, clear over at the end in the New Testament, that it's actually a good thing because it's proof that you are his. How horrible would it be if God said, I'm going to give you everything you want in this world except me. You can have stuff, you can have pleasure, you can have ease and comfort and all those things, but you don't get me or any of my promises. When I think about that, that's what creates panic in me. I'll take the with God, even if it means discipline, I just don't wanna be without him because all this is temporary. Super, super temporary. So I'll trade it if I get this. I think it would be far, far worse if he said, I'll make it easy, just you don't get any of me. And I'll take it. And that's what he says. It's proof. Don't hate it. It's proof. It's part of who I am. And you want it because then you'll know. So with discipline... Number one, expect it. Two, can we know where it will come? And I think we can. If it's coming, can we know as sons or daughters or part of the family, can we know in in the place it's going to come? And I think we can if we stay in Hebrews and work just a little bit further. There's a, a verse Hebrews 12 lays out the discipline and how it's going to roll. But there's a, a, a statement above all of it that I believe sets the whole thing up, and it's verse 4. Before all this talk about discipline, it, it says this. It's not a question. It's a statement. It says, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. The shedding blood part there is, of course, Christ, who is the only one to ever resist sin to the point of shedding blood. The point is, that's really, 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 really resisting sin as much as you can. The only one to ever do it is him. The point of this is God is pronouncing it upon us. You have not done that. He's not asking questions. I think we read it that way a lot of times. In your struggle against sin, have you resisted? I'm not asking you. He's not asking us. He's telling. You haven't. And right after he tells us we haven't resisted sin, guess what comes? This long description of the discipline of God. I believe that the place we can know that God's discipline will come is in the area where we have not fought against what we know to be true. We have not 
We have not fought against sin intensely. Discipline will come in the area where we've compromised. Where have you compromised? I believe that we all pick and choose. We have places where we absolutely hold on to what God has said and there is zero compromise. As for me and my house, this is how it will be. But we also at the same time have areas where we go, I kind of go my own way on this one. I mean, I know what it says, but I just don't hold that one as, I don't hold the line there as much. Where are you lax? I think that's where it's coming. There's somebody who would say, I realize what God has said about loving my wife, and that is what I will do. You will love your wife the way Christ has loved the church, a self-sacrificing love. Love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it keeps no record of wrongs, and he has reason every day, maybe every five minutes, to keep track of another wrong, but he doesn't do it. He prides himself in how he loves his wife. Zero compromise, but he drinks too much. Where's the discipline coming? It's over here. Or switch it. You have someone who said, I will not, like even though the Bible doesn't forbid me to drink, I will not cause my brother to stumble. So I can handle it, but he might not be able to, so I'm going to abstain, I'm going to withhold because it matters to me what goes on with him, and I'm going to lay down my rights for the good of my brother, and it's zero, but he's a jerk to his wife. Where's the discipline coming? Where's he going to lose? He's going to lose here. The connection is, is unbelievably true. The place in which we are willing to compromise is the place in which the discipline will come. I just had a conversation with a guy about a guy. So it wasn't gossip. I mean, it was, it was shared with common knowledge. This guy said, I neglected my responsibility as a husband, as a father, as the leader of my household, I had no opinion. I was, I was saw, I didn't set it out. I didn't set the temperature of the home. I didn't say as, I just laid it down. I didn't do anything with it. And I lost them. I lost my, I lost my relationship with the kids. I lost it. And it's the area in which he's, these are his words. I was evil. I mean, I wouldn't have said that, but that's how he saw it. Like, I just walked away from what God has said. Maybe it's money. The Word of God says, you cannot serve both God and money. And you're like, "Eh, I don't know. You're you're rock solid on the rest of it. The Word of God says, this is how you are to be a father. This is how you are to be a husband. This is how you are to be a church member. This is how you're to go about the Great Commission. You're like, nailed it, got it. But I like money, and it provides for me things that make my life easier, and I'm willing to chase it, go after it, 
grab it, get it, gain it, and I really don't care how I do it. Even if it's a little bit shady, I just need it because I like it and it helps me. And then once you have it, like you're really tight with it, like you won't let it go, you're not generous, which is another violation of what God has to say. Where is the, where is it coming? Where's, where are things going to blow up? It's in the area where we have compromised. The Word of God says, discipline your children. And you're like, eh, I don't know. Like it just seems, I think I have a better way. I'm going to do it this way. And now, the lack of discipline when they were little, they've all grown up. And now how they are feels like discipline to you. Do you see the connection? It's where we decide we're going to walk away and do our own thing. That is, that's where we open the gate wide open for the discipline of God. So I say, I, just, I think we should fight. I think we should fight against compromise. I think we should fight. You know the place where you throw your arm around sin. Fight that. Close that door. Fight. If you want to know how to fight, Ephesians chapter 6 lays out some good fighting stuff. I'll let you read it. Fight. Expect it. You can probably know where it's coming. Why? And we could stay in Hebrews and go, well, God wants you to be holy. And he does. And it will produce, I think it says something like, it will produce in you a harvest of righteousness. And I think that is true too. But I want to say it like this. Why? Because, here's why he does it. Because God knows exactly, if you are his, he knows exactly who he made you to be, and he knows exactly what he has for you to do. It's a, it's a larger, it's a, I'm going to say a grander vision of you than you have of you. He has it, and you will live it. You're not going to walk into it. He's going, to, he's going to get you to it. But it's going to require some of the stuff we're talking about. It says it this way in 1 Corinthians 7. Let each person lead the life that God has assigned him to, which he is called. Do you know that God very particularly knows what he's assigned for you to do. He knows exactly how it's all put together. You know, my dad used to call it your God destiny. I think that's what I put in the notes. This is what he has for you, and you're going to get there. It's this assigned, called-to thing, and you may not be able to grab it completely from where you are, like your vision of it is not his, but he's going to take you there. And I'm telling you, you and I are just going to skip into it like, oh, I get it, and this is going to be great. We're going to be disciplined into it, but we're going to get there. My wife and I have a grand vision for our children. It's larger than what they can see and what they've been able to see at the moment through the years. 
but it's just a, a picture of who we want them to be when we drop them off at Purdue. It involves, without getting in too much detail, it involves respect for authority. I'm dropping off a kid who has a healthy respect for authority. I'm going to teach you who's boss here with relatively low pain. Because if you don't know who's boss and when to back up here, you won't hear, and if you don't hear, the pain gets much, much bigger. It's, it's more costly here. So you're going to have a healthy respect for authority. You're going to be diligent. You're not lazy. You're going to be someone who has something to add. You're going to be a giver, not a taker. You're going to produce something positive. You're going to lay back and wait for it to come to you. You're going to get up, and you're going to do it, because if you know how to work, you'll always eat. be diligent, you can be productive. You're going to be pleasant to live with. I think the people that should thank us the most for our vision for our children would be future college roommates. Because we talk about them all the time in our home, we've never met them. If I walk into the room, I can't tell you how many, this time, how many times this has happened. I walk into the room and there's the bed. It's surrounded by all these clothes. I'll just walk and say, listen, soon enough you're going to live in a space this big. So we define it. This is the big as the dorm room is going to be. All right. And in this space right here, two people are going to share it. And that isn't going to work. Nobody wants to live with that. Pick it up. Whoever that person is that should thank me. No trails. Nobody wants to live with someone who leaves trails. If I were hunting one of my sons, I would, I would get him every time. I walk in, shoes. Are they where they're supposed to be? No. Sweatshirt. Do you guys just come in and throw it on the floor? There's a hook. Book bag. He must have gone this way. On the bar where we eat, that's clean. Your book bag touched you. That's dirty. <laughs> don't put that. I don't want to eat that. Must have gone to the fridge to get something to eat because the two little rubber bands that he puts on his teeth, he put them right there on the counter. <laughs> So he's gone this way. He must have gone that way because whatever he got out of the fridge, he left the wrapper right there. I think I can hear him eating because he never closes his mouth. I go around, got him. No trails. No one wants to live with someone who makes trails. Good hygiene. Brush your teeth, wash your face. No one wants to see that or smell that up close. How do we get there? How do we get there? Shaping, correcting, teaching, training, pain along the way to produce what we always saw.
so that they resemble when we drop them off what we always saw. I don't know what he sees for you, but he's going to get you there if you're his. And some of it we are not going to like. But he doesn't care. His picture of us is bigger than the picture that we hold. And ultimately, it's better. So, don't hate it. If you're going through it right now, don't hate it. And don't let it crush you either. This is, this is the last this is the last verse that we're left with in that Hebrews chapter. And it says, pick up your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Walk straight. Stop. Walk straight. Can you feel what's going on? Walk straight so that the discipline that I'm putting on you doesn't put you out of joint. Because that's what it'll do. If you, it'll put you out if you... Pick up your drooping hands and strengthen your knees and walk straight. That discipline says it's made to heal. He who has ears, let him hear. I'll leave you with this because it's a picture of God that I'm going to hand you today and next week. And I don't want you to hate it. It's a picture that my daughter took and when the storm was rolling in this week. And when I saw it, I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. That's exactly who he is. That's who I'm trying to describe. That's who God reveals himself to be. So she saw it and like, hey, is God rainbows? Well, sure. I'm like, but is God all rainbows? No. Is he good? Does he care? Does he love? Does he protect? Is there a promise of salvation? Is he good? But we can't sing about rainbows all the time. Like we can, but I'm telling you, we're missing part of the picture. Equally as part of that is there's lightning. And it's not bad. As a matter of fact, it's accurate. And a healthy view of God is both. When I look at it, I'm like, that's who he is. He's incredibly good. But there is lightning for a purpose. Amen. Lord, thanks for revealing discipline. If we're in it, my prayer is that it does its work quickly and it's over so we can get on with it. Um, but those things are not in our hands. They are in yours. So, we just say we trust you. And we say that in Jesus' name. And everybody said. We're halfway through our series study of the book of Habakkuk. And I like the choice of the book because I think it's this book and books like it that help get rid of the idea that the Bible is irrelevant. Anybody ever sort of hold that thought down in the center of themselves? Like, this is me. That's them. I don't get it. And I realize that we're in the Old Testament, and I realize we can barely pronounce the name of the book. And you get that far, and you're like, I'm out.
I'm done. <laughs> Whatever, I don't know who this, I don't even know how to say this dude's name, but he's not like me. But if we can just, number one, let's admit it's a little strange. But if we can get one step underneath the strangeness, we're going to find out that this guy is a lot like us. So this is Habakkuk. It resembles us. He's a guy at some level who believes in God, at some level he serves God, and at some level he has his doubts about God. And if I look at that, I can identify with all of those at some level. Some of you, maybe you can just, if you can't identify with all of them, you can certainly identify with one of them. And even his doubts are familiar to us. So here are his doubts when it comes to God. The first thing, the first question he has from God is, why do you sit idly by? Why don't you do something? Can't you see this is going on? You should do something. Who hasn't said that? Every single one of us has probably said, like, hey. Then, here's the set. Then when he does, Habakkuk says, well, I didn't want you to do it like that. Who can relate with that? We all know better, don't we? Who knows better than the way God does it? We all know better. Like, I just wouldn't have done it that way. He's just like us. And the cool part is, get below the name and all that, God just preserved the whole thing because he knows we need it. Names change, people don't. We don't call you Habakkuk, but we need the same answers to those questions. And God answered and preserved it and handed it to us because it's just as helpful to all of us as it was back then. So it's relevant. It matters. So we need what God has to say here. So what does he have to say? So I read the book a couple times. It's easy to read the book because it's only three chapters. You can do it. (laughs) Three chapters. And I'm asking myself, which is a good thing to do. What is he saying? That's how you read the word. The word is revelation. God is always revealing something about himself, about us, about our relationship, about the world, something so you're asking that question, what is he saying? And as I read it through, there were two, in the, sort of the middle of this book, there are two main ideas that came off the page to me. And we're going to work under those main ideas, one this week and one the next. There's actually a lot of stuff it reveals, but for my part, there were two that I saw. And they both fall under this, that God will not be mocked. And what I mean by that over here is, if you are a Christian... You cannot claim Christ and run around in sin and expect God to do nothing. If if you're claiming belief and relationship and Christianity and all that stuff, and you know what the Word says, but you don't do anything, or you just do parts of it that you like, and you're running around like that, you have to expect that God's going to step in and do something. The book of Habakkuk reveals that God will discipline those who are his. That's chapter one. If you're not Christian, you can. You run around and do whatever you want. You can think all of this is nonsense. You cannot care. I mean, you don't even have to be hostile towards it. You can just be indifferent. You don't have to be anti-God, but you can just think, "Eh, I got other things to do. But you need to know that someday, there is a day coming where you will have to answer for what you did and didn't do. 
can run on for a long time. You can run on for a long time. But sooner or later, God is going to cut you down. So, discipline and judgment. Judgment's chapter 2. Two super happy topics (laughs) for the next two weeks. But if they are our reality, and I'm saying that they are, living life under the discipline of God is a reality. And God wants us to know what that reality is like. Let's, it's worth our while. If judgment is indeed coming, hey, let's, get, let's at least be aware of it and maybe get ready. So not a lot of fun. So if it stays like this, a lot of turnaround looking at the clock, it's all right. Just two weeks of it, okay? Here's the backdrop. Habakkuk is a preacher, and he spends a lot of years preaching good messages full of God's truth, God's law, God's love to people, and they don't change. And he's frustrated. He's frustrated with them, but he's, he's frustrated with God that God doesn't do something about it. The, so he's preaching good messages, but the people, they look like neighboring nations, and the neighboring nations, they make gods out of wood. They carve stuff out of wood, like the sun god and the sea god, and there's even a god of chaos, and, they have, and then they dance around it, and they do all this crazy stuff. They're not getting the messages. These people, they're getting the messages, but they act like them. So he's frustrated with them. He's frustrated with God. So he says, this is verse 1, 3, why do you look idly at wrong? Get them. Which I can tell you, that's a conversation pastors have. Like, God, you know the messages are awesome. (laughs) But this is where it ends. The awesomeness. Just look at them. So get them. And God says, I will. This is 1-6. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. And it's not, they're going to ride in on horses faster than leopards. And they are a bitter and hasty nation. And it is not going to be good. I got it. I'm going to do it. So the preacher asks for discipline. And God says, it's coming. But he says, it's going to look like this. And when the preacher hears, he's like, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. I was thinking more like this. (laughs) And I just, and which do you want? I mean, be careful. This was Brandy and I's choice. It's not a bad choice. Light, travels through the air well, good coverage. Don't don't be so quick. You can have this one. If you break this one, you can have this one. The second issue he has with God is over this. This is verse 13. He's like, thanks for the discipline, but I disagree in the way in which you will do it. He's like, are you really going to allow the wicked to swallow up a man more righteous than he? So listen, we're bad, but we're not this bad. And you're a God who can't, you say you can't even look at evil. How can you use these crazy people to discipline us when we're only half as bad? I strenuously object. 
And at the end of chapter 1, it says, I will take my stand on the watchtower, and I will see how the Lord will answer me. And the Lord says, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I'm God. I'm going to do what I want to do, how I want to do it. But if I discipline in this way, I need you to know that it doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to get theirs. They will. They, those who are not mine, they have something coming too. It's just going to be later. That's the end of chapter two, but I'm still going to use them. In the middle of it then, he says this, trust me. You need to trust me. This is 2-4. Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. Chapter 1 is, I will discipline those who are mine. Chapter 2 is, and those who are not mine, they've got a day coming. What you need to do in the middle is trust me. You've got to trust me to discipline, and you've got to trust me in the judgment. My scales will balance Everyone will get what they have coming. So, discipline today. If you're a Christian and you're really going through it at the moment and things are not good, things are not going the way that you want them to go, you can remember a time that they were. So not so long ago, it was going decent. And like, I can live in that, but then something happened. Something went crazy with your people. The people that you love the most, it just went off. Or the circumstance changed, and now the situation that you're in is not fun, and you don't see any way to get out of it anytime soon, and you're stuck. Or you're tired, and you're tired. So you're trying everything you can to get out, but all your effort, your input is not creating anything different, and the whole time God seems distant, silent, quiet. There's unrest all around you, and it's creating unrest in you, and it's not good. If that's you, it could be God's discipline on you. It could be that God is disciplining you. Now, I am not saying that all of our pain is God's discipline. Like, thanks a lot, man. I just got back. I just received a diagnosis. I come here today. I need a little hope. I need a little help. And you just said that God's doing it to me because he's going to get me. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying because God says it that if you're going through it at the moment, don't be too quick to take God out of it. It could be him. It could be him doing that because he wants to see something different in you. And I only say that because God says that's part of who I am. We have to we have to hang on to a vision of God, a, a picture of God that is accurate. And a God who disciplines is part of who he reveals himself to be. And not just in Habakkuk. 
chapter 1, verse 6, that I will raise up the Chaldeans. That's not the only time he said it. God's been raising up the Chaldeans from beginning to end. From the beginning of the book, from the beginning of his revealed word, all the way to the end, he's promising to do something similar. I didn't know this, but I found it. The promise to discipline those who are his is as far back as the law. Way back in Leviticus, God promises that he's going to do it. And if he put it in the law, like he has to do it, because if he didn't do it, then he'd be breaking his own law, and God doesn't do that. Leviticus chapter 26. It starts off, the first part's really good, because it's a promise to bless those who obey. Read that part. Read it a lot. It's good. Makes you feel good. Encourages you. But right underneath it, there's equally as long of a promise to discipline those who don't. He says it this way, if you will not listen to me, I will visit you with panic and pain. That's a, that's a paraphrase, but those are the two things that he promises are coming. And they're coming not from a world that's broken and all that. They're coming from him. I'm going to let you experience panic and pain. You're going to be a If you won't listen, here's my way, you walk over here, then I'm going to cause you to be someone whose heart is full of worry anxiety, turmoil. You're going to be a person who's always afraid of something, but here's the thing. He said, I will make you like a people, and you're always on the run, but there's nothing chasing you. It's me creating that in you, and I'm going to let you feel pain. I'm going to cause heartache. Do you guys know heartache? Not pain, like your heart aches. I I, know. I don't think you can raise kids without heartache. We have photos on our kitchen wall of our kids, and you, you just capture them in a moment. You know, they're little. And I've, I know they're fully evil from birth, all right? We've talked about that. So I'm not, I've not forgotten that. But you capture them when they're cute. They're little. And there's a certain innocence there. I saw it today, as a matter of fact. You just see it in their face. And it goes away. That makes my heart ache. God says, I'll cause you to feel that. And while you have panic and heartache, I will make heaven like iron. This is the, I will make your heaven like iron and your earth like bronze. So underneath that, heaven's going to be, it's going to be like iron. So nothing out, nothing in. No blessing out, no prayer in. It's going to, I'm going to, you're going to feel alone and I'm going to make sure you feel it. So your prayer is going to bounce off. But I want you to feel that. And then everything you do here will be hard. You're going to try and try and try and try, and it's going to eke out just a little bit of return. But in the end, that return is going to be like, it says like a sowing to the wind. You're going to get it, and you're just going to have to give it away. And all that effort for nothing, sort of a fruitlessness. But I want you to feel that because I will break the pride of your power with discipline. Here's his promise. If you walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you and you will feel it until such time that you turn around. 
that you humble yourself, that you quit, that you stop, that you give in, that you turn back, and then we can walk together again. It's in the law. It's going to happen. And it does. Moses, Joshua, Samson, David, Jonah, Jeremiah, Habakkuk. Pick one. No one's left out. Every, every, you read, if you read, if you read, you're going to find in seasons when these men walk away from God, He's going to walk away from them just like He promised He would. And it's every single one of them. I listen to, I listen to a preacher say this, like, don't hold such a high opinion of these biblical figures. He said, there are only four people in the Bible I would let babysit my kids. <laughs> Jesus and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everybody, everybody else sketchy. <laughs> what do they get? Discipline. Like, could we jump into the New Testament where God is happy and Jesus lives? Like, I'm tired of the angry Old Testament God. Yes, let's flip. So if we flip, you can flip from the beginning. The law is in the beginning. You flip almost to the end. The book of Hebrews, let's say. Almost at the end, one of the most famous passages about discipline is Hebrews chapter 12. I mean, you can't get out of it. Like, Jesus lives here, and God is happy, and there's grace and forgiveness and all this stuff that's just held to the, to the highest. And even in the midst of that, you find what? God's promise to discipline those who are his. I'll pick it up. This is Hebrews 12, 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? So let's pause right there. If you're Christian, do you know that you have been adopted? The language that God reveals or that the Bible uses about salvation is to be adopted. How does adoption happen? Somebody's out there disconnected, lost, alone by themselves, and then do they go searching for No. Somebody comes to them and scoops them up. That's exactly how it's described. I'll just read it this way. This is Ephesians 1, describes how we become sons or daughters. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his presence. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to his good pleasure, according to the good pleasure of his will and to the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glorious grace, we're lost orphans. He's like, I want some kids. I pick you. He says, don't forget that. Okay? That's good stuff. That will make your heart soft towards God when you realize that he came to you and you didn't deserve it. So don't forget, sons, but now as sons, here's the rest of it, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. 
It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? There's the part I want you to see. If you are left without discipline in which we have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Here it says clear over at the end in the New Testament that it's actually a good thing because it's proof that you are his. How horrible would it be if God said, I'm going to give you everything you want in this world except me. You can have stuff, you can have pleasure, you can have ease and comfort and all those things, but you don't get me or any of my promises. When I think about that, that's what creates panic in me. I'll take the with God even if it means discipline, I just don't want to be without him because all this is temporary, super, super temporary. So I'll trade it if I get this. I think it would be far, far worse if he said, I'll make it easy, just you don't get any of me. No, I'll take it. And that's what he says. It's proof. Don't hate it. It's proof. It's part of who I am. And you want it because then you'll know. So, with discipline, number one, expect it. Two, can we know where it will come? And I think we can. If it's coming, can we know as sons or daughters or part of the family, can we know in, in the place it's going to come? And I think we can if we stay in Hebrews and work just a little bit further. There's a, a verse Hebrews 12 lays out the discipline and how it's going to roll. But there's a, a, a statement above all of it that I believe sets the whole thing up, and it's verse 4. Before all this talk about discipline, it, it says this. It's not a question. It's a statement. It says, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. The shedding blood part there is, of course, Christ, who is the only one to ever resist sin to the point of shedding blood. The point is, that's really, 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 really resisting sin as much as you can. The only one to ever do it is him. The point of this is God is pronouncing it upon us. You have not done that. He's not asking questions. I think we read it that way a lot of times. In your struggle against sin, have you resisted? I'm not asking you. He's not asking us. He's telling. You haven't. And right after he tells us we haven't resisted sin, guess what comes? This long description of the discipline of God. I believe that the place we can know that God's discipline will come is in the area where we have not fought against what we know to be true. We have not, we have not fought against sin intensely. Discipline will come in the area where we've compromised. Where have you compromised? I believe that we all pick and choose. We have places where we absolutely hold on to what God has said and there is zero compromise. As for me and my house, this is how it will be. 
But we also, at the same time, have areas where we go, I kind of go my own way on this one. I mean, I know what it says, but I just don't hold that one as, I don't hold the line there as much. Where are you lax? I think that's where it's coming. There's somebody who would say, I realize what God has said about loving my wife, and that is what I will do. You will love your wife the way Christ has loved the church, a self-sacrificing love. Love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it keeps no record of wrongs, and he has reason every day, maybe every five minutes, to keep track of another wrong, but he doesn't do it. He prides himself in how he loves his wife. Zero compromise, but he drinks too much. Where's the discipline coming? It's over here. Or switch it. You have someone who said, I will not. Like, even though the Bible doesn't forbid me to drink, I will not cause my brother to stumble. So I can handle it, but he might not be able to. So I'm going to abstain. I'm going to withhold because it matters to me what goes on with him. And I'm going to lay down my rights for the good of my brother. And it's zero, but he's a jerk to his wife. Where's the discipline coming? Where's he going to lose He's going to lose here. The connection is is unbelievably true. The place in which we are willing to compromise is the place in which the discipline will come. I just had a conversation with a guy about a guy. So it wasn't gossip. I mean, it it was shared with common knowledge. This guy said, I neglected my responsibility as a husband, as a father, as the leader of my household. I had no opinion. I was, I was saw, I didn't set it out. I didn't set the temperature of the home. I didn't say as, I just laid it down. I didn't do anything with it. And I lost them. I lost my, I lost my relationship with the kids. I lost it. And it's the area in which he's, these are his words, I was evil. I mean, I wouldn't have said that, but that's how he saw it. Like, I just walked away from what God has said. Maybe it's money. The Word of God says, you cannot serve both God and money. And you're like, "Mm, I don't know. You're, You're rock solid on the rest of it. The Word of God says, this is how you are to be a father. This is how you are to be a husband. This is how you are to be a church member. You, this is how you're to go about the Great Commission. You're like, nailed it, got it. But I like money, and it provides for me things that make my life easier, and I'm willing to chase it, go after it, grab it, get it, gain it, and I really don't care how I do it. Even if it's a little bit shady, I just need it because I like it, and it helps me. And then once you have it, like, you're really tight with it. Like, you won't let it go. You're not generous, which is another violation of what God has to say. Where is the, where is it coming? Where's, where are things going to blow up? It's in the area where we have compromised. The Word of God says, discipline your children. And you're like, eh, I don't know. Like, it just seems, I think I have a better way. I'm going to do it this way. 
And now, the lack of discipline when they were little, they've all grown up. And now how they are feels like discipline to you. Do you see the connection? It's where we decide we're going to walk away and do our own thing. That is, that's where we open the gate wide open for the discipline of God. So I say, I, just, I think we should fight. I think we should fight against compromise. I think we should fight. You know the place where you throw your arm around sin. Fight that. Close that door. Fight. If you want to know how to fight, Ephesians chapter 6 lays out some good fighting stuff. I'll let you read it. Fight. Expect it. You can probably know where it's coming. Why? And we could stay in Hebrews and go, well... God wants you to be holy. And he does. And it will produce, I think it says some, something like, it will produce in you a harvest of righteousness. And I think that is true too. But I want to say it like this. Why? Because, here's why he does it. Because God knows exactly, if you are his, he knows exactly who he made you to be. And he knows exactly what he has for you to do. It's a, it's a larger, it's a, I'm going to say a grander vision of you than you have of you. He has it, and you will live it. You're not going to walk into it. He's going to, he's going to get you to it, but it's going to require some of the stuff we're talking about. It says it this way in 1 Corinthians 7. Let each person lead the life that God has assigned him to, which he is called. Do you know that God very particularly knows what he's assigned for you to do? He knows exactly how it's all put together. You know, my dad used to call it your God destiny. I think that's what I put in the notes. This is what he has for you, and you're going to get there. It's this assigned, called-to thing. And you may not be able to grab it completely from where you are. Like, your vision of it is not his. But he's going to take you there. And I'm telling you, you and I are just going to skip into it. Like, oh, I get it. And this is going to be great. We're going to be disciplined into it. But we're going to get there. My wife and I have a grand vision for our children. It's larger than what they can see and what they've been able to see at the moment through the years. But it's just a, a picture of who we want them to be when we drop them off at Purdue. It involves, without getting in too much detail, it involves respect for authority. I'm dropping off a kid who has a healthy respect for authority. I'm going to teach you who's boss here with relatively low pain. 
Because if you don't know who's boss and when to back up here, you won't hear. And if you don't hear, the pain gets much, much bigger. It's, co- it's more costly here. So you're going to have a healthy respect for authority. You're going to be diligent. You're not lazy. You're going to be someone who is something to add. You're going to be a giver, not a taker. You're going to produce something positive. You're going to lay back and wait for it to come to you. You're going to get up and you're going to do it because if you know how to work, you'll always eat. Be diligent. You're going to be productive. You're going to be pleasant to live with. I think the people that should thank us the most for our vision for our children would be future college roommates. Because we talk about them all the time in our home. We've never met them. If I walk into the room, I can't tell you how many, this time, how many times this has happened. I walk into the room and there's the bed. It's surrounded by all these clothes. I'll just walk and say, listen, soon enough, you're going to live in a space this big. So we define it. This is the big as the dorm room is going to be. All right. And in this space right here, two people are going to share it. And that isn't going to work. Nobody wants to live with that. Pick it up. Whoever that person is that should thank me. No trails. Nobody wants to live with someone who leaves trails. If I were hunting one of my sons, I would, I would get him every time. I walk in, shoes. Are they where they're supposed to be? No. Sweatshirt. Do you guys just come in, throw it on the floor? There's a hook. Book bag. He must have gone this way. On the bar where we eat, that's clean. Your book bag touched you. That's dirty. (laughs) Don't put that. I don't want to eat that. Must have gone to the fridge to get something to eat because the two little rubber bands that he puts on his teeth, he put them right there on the counter. So he's gone this way. He must have gone that way because whatever he got out of the fridge, he left the wrapper right there. I think I can hear him eating because he never closes his mouth. I go around, got him. No trails. No one wants to live with someone who makes trails. Good hygiene. Brush your teeth, wash your face. No one wants to see that or smell that up close. How do we get there? How do we get there? Shaping, correcting, teaching, training, pain along the way to produce what we always saw so that they resemble when we drop them off what we always saw. I don't know what he sees for you, but he's going to get you there if you're his. And some of it we are not going to like. But he doesn't care. His picture of us is bigger than the picture that we hold, and ultimately it's better. So, don't hate it. If you're going through it right now, 
Don't hate it. And don't let it crush you either. This is, this is the last this is the last verse that we're left with in that Hebrews chapter. And it says, pick up your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. Walk straight. Stop. Walk straight. Can you feel what's going on? Walk straight so that the discipline that I'm putting on you doesn't put you out of joint because that's what it'll do. If you, it'll put you out if you Pick up your drooping hands and strengthen your knees and walk straight. That discipline says it's made to heal. He who has ears, let him hear. I'll leave you with this because it's a picture of God that I'm going to hand you today and next week. And I don't want you to hate it. The picture that my daughter took when the storm was rolling in this week. And when I saw it, I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. That's exactly who he is. That's who I'm trying to describe. That's who God reveals himself to be. So she saw it and like, hey, is God rainbows? Well, sure. I'm like, there, but is God all rainbows? No. Is he good? Does he care? Does he love? Does he protect? Is there a promise of salvation? Is he good? But we can't sing about rainbows all the time. Like we can, but I'm telling you, we're missing part of the picture. Equally as part of that is there's lightning. And it's not bad. As a matter of fact, it's accurate. And a healthy view of God is both. When I look at it, I'm like, that's who he is. He's incredibly good. But there is lightning. For a purpose. Amen. Lord, thanks for revealing discipline. If we're in it, my prayer is that it does its work quickly and it's over so we can get on with it. Um, but those things are not in our hands, they are in yours. So we just say we trust you. And we say that in Jesus' name. And everybody said it.